Welcome, everyone. Uh, before our opening prayer, let's sing I Need Thee Every Hour. I Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Almighty God and Creator of all things, Father, thank you so much for this time that we have to worship you this evening, to gather together and to fellowship with each other. Father, we pray that we do all these things decently and in order and that we are pleasing in your sight. Father, please protect us and guide us and give us wisdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before our scripture reading and Tim's lesson, we'll sing Hold to God's Unchanging Hand. Time is filled with swift
Tonight's scripture comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. That's Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance that race has been set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Good evening. So glad to, uh, to be able to be here with you tonight, and uh, so glad to be a part of this congregation. I was, um, you know, this, this month we think about things we're thankful for, and I was thinking it was this month, 17 years ago, that I started working with Central, and I'm really thankful that the... Uh, elders took a chance on me um you know 17 years it's a long time but I was only 14 years old when they hired me so that's um but I'm I'm glad to I'm glad that I've been able to to grow with you here and uh, what a what a beautiful family we have here at Central and uh if if you're new to our family at Central um, I think you're going to find that there's a, there's a lot of beautiful relationships with some beautiful people here that you're going to be able to grow with. We've got a lot of exciting things happening with our college program. In March, we're going to be taking a mission trip to Panama. And there's still a couple of spots. If you're thinking you might be interested in going, we, you're welcome to join us. We have a uh, deadline of the first week of December to let us know if you're going or not. But uh, one of the ways, there's, there's ways that you can help us go. And uh, the most important thing is pray for our trip. We've got uh, about 12 college students that are interested in going right now. And our plan is to, to go and we'll have a, a VBS. We'll be having a gospel meeting and we'll be doing a door knocking campaign where we'll have uh, Bible studies in the homes of, of people in, near Changanola, Panama, in the Bocas del Toro uh, region of Panama. Most of the time you hear Bocas del Toro, there's a, a very famous uh, tourist destination there. It's very beautiful. We won't be there. <laughs> we'll be just outside of there in the not-so-beautiful part where um, people are starving for the gospel. Um, so pray for that campaign. Pray for it now. I know it's a little bit out in the future, but we can use your prayers right now. And then something else that you can do to help, and, and several of you already have, is if you have um, jobs around your house, odd jobs that need to be done, and you might be interested in paying a college student or two to, to help out, they're trying to earn money to be able to make this trip. And we've got uh, two jobs that we're going to go do tomorrow, moving some furniture around and cleaning some things. And uh, this weekend, we're going to spread some mulch. And so if you have chores like that that you'd like to be done and, and you have a little bit of money that you'd like to, to help us go on our trip, we'd love to help out with those kinds of things. So just give me a call and uh, maybe we can help each other out. When I read the books of First and Second Samuel... And study the life of David, something at least this time that has stuck out to me as I've studied it, is David's reverence and respect that he has for um, those who are, as David puts it, the chosen of God. And even when David disagrees personally with the chosen of God, he still respects and, 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 and the disagreement, of course, would specifically be with King Saul and King Saul's decision that he wanted to kill David. David didn't agree with that. And uh, even with that disagreement, David still respected Saul. He, he respected Saul because God chose Saul. And we see that over and over in the book of, books of First and Second Samuel. And in Second Samuel chapter 9, we find David looking for relatives of Saul 
that he could show honor to. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, David said, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And David is able to find Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the crippled son of Jonathan. And David, uh, out of respect for Saul and, and because of his friendship with Jonathan, um, he gives Mephibosheth everything that had belonged to Saul. And Mephibosheth won the lottery. Um, Mephibosheth was, was crippled in both feet and very likely not able to work. Uh, it's possible that he may have been uh, a beggar even. We know that he is the, the grandson of a king who had left God, a king who had tried to kill the current king and maybe not a very popular person. And Mephibosheth is beside himself that David would bestow such an honor on him. And in fact, in verse 8, Mephibosheth says, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog as I? This is how lowly Mephibosheth regards himself. And yet David regards him so much higher because of who he, who he was and who he came from. And David makes Mephibosheth royalty. Um, he gives him a home. He gives him food. He gives him uh, servants to care for him. And David takes care of Mephibosheth. One of the interesting things as you look at the life of David in First and Second Samuel, this is really, and, and as we scroll through the timeline of, of his life, this is really the... Uh, this initial encounter with Mephibosheth could really be a timestamp as one of the last times that we see David before he starts to lose himself. David in First and Second Samuel, or at least the, the first eight chapters, nine chapters of Second Samuel, David can do no wrong. David is David's a superhero. I mean, David kills Goliath. David outfoxes Saul. David becomes the king. David does all these incredible things he's a man of he's a man of character and there's no chinks in his armor and just a couple of chapters after this encounter with Mephibosheth we see David falling he has the affair with Bathsheba he fathers a child with her he has her husband killed after he's unable to cover it up in chapter 13 we see David's dysfunctional family Amnon hurts his sister uh, Tamar very badly. And Absalom, the brother, the other brother, ends up killing Amnon in retaliation. And by chapter 16, David is now on the run from his own son as Absalom is attempting to steal the throne. And it says David is retreating, that he meets the servant Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who's brought food and donkeys to David and his men. And Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, sees this as an opportunity, um, sees this as an opportunity to gain favor with David. And so he tells David, he throws Mephibosheth under the bus and he says, uh, tells David, you know, all these donkeys, all this food, uh, everything, I got this for you, not Mephibosheth. Uh, in fact, uh, what I heard Mephibosheth saying was that uh, he was talking about taking over the kingdom. Uh, that's when I left. And so David has this, I'm, I'm sure David is perplexed by this. And going only on this information that Ziba tells him, he says, well, okay, well, if this is true, then everything I gave to Mephibosheth, that's, that's all yours now. In chapter 19, Absalom is dead. And David is returning to Jerusalem. He's mourning the death of his son. And he's picking up the pieces of a broken kingdom. And David encounters Mephibosheth. And the first thing he asks him in verse 25, is he said, Why didn't you come with me, Mephibosheth? Where were you? I, I, thought, I thought I was taking care of you. When we see 
the picture of Mephibosheth, though, something doesn't really make sense. Because Ziba's saying Mephibosheth is preparing to take the throne. But when we see the description there, Mephibosheth hasn't washed his hair. He hasn't washed his beard. The, the hair is probably matting together. It says he hasn't even bathed. He hasn't washed his clothes. He hasn't taken care of his, 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 his fingernails and his toenails. And he just looks pretty rough. Not like the man who's getting ready to take over a kingdom. And Mephibosheth says, I was tricked. Ziba tricked me. I would have gone. I couldn't go. Um, and I was tricked. And, and, and just by looking at Mephibosheth, David knew that he was telling the truth. And the view, the, the, the image of Mephibosheth is not a man plotting to overtake a kingdom. It's the image of a man who is in turmoil waiting for his king to return. And so David, having already given Mephibosheth's land to Ziba, he says, um, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to divide everything that I gave to Ziba with you. And in verse 30, we see Mephibosheth's true colors and his true character. Because in verse 30, it says, Mephibosheth said to the king, let him take it all since my Lord, the king has come safely home. I feel like we really see the heart of Mephibosheth there. He doesn't care about the stuff. He cared about his king. Mephibosheth wasn't worried about losing his home. He was worried about losing his relationship. Mephibosheth is saying, I will gladly give all this up for my relationship with you. Because you gave it to me in the first place. I'll gladly place more importance on our relationship because stuff could not bring me out of that pit of despair I was in. You brought me out of the pit of despair I was in. You lifted me up. Take my money, take my stuff. I'll keep my relationship with you. What a powerful example. In the second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul describes uh, his life being an, uh, since becoming an apostle of Christ. He says in, in chapter 11, verse 23, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul did not have an easy life. Saul, the man Paul was before encountering Christ, Saul was somewhat set up for success. Saul was a Roman citizen and had all the benefits of being a Roman citizen. He had studied under the, the feet of Gamaliel. Um, there is some evidence that may even point to, to Paul or Saul being a part of the royal Herodian family. He's educated. He is, uh, has access to wealth. He has Roman citizenship. He has a Hebrew bloodline. Uh, he has influence. He has power. Saul had plenty to boast about. Saul had everything set up for him. And then on the other hand, we find Paul outlining his list of why there's nothing special about himself. I've, I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. I do not have the life people dream about. We would not hope for our children the life that Paul had. We would not hope, you know, I want you to grow up and I want people to beat you up. And I want you to find yourself alone at sea. And I want you to be left for dead. That's what I want for you. No one would ever tell their child that. 
No one lays in bed at night and dreams of the day that we get to be uh, whipped 40 times less one. We don't think about that. Can you imagine if, because Paul's talking here about, about what does he have to boast about? Can you imagine if Paul had social media and he's takes this, here's another selfie of my most recent beating. You know, here's, here's me, you know, floating out in the sea without a boat. Hashtag blessed. You know, I'm, I'm doing great. <laughs> There's nothing to brag about there. This is, this is an awful thing to think about. And so in chapter 12, we read this, verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. On top of this beautiful life I have that, saw, that Paul is saying, on top of this beautiful life of being left for dead and people wanting to kill me, I also have this thorn in the flesh, this thing that I just cannot get over, that I can't put, get behind me. This thing that always seems to plague me and I just can't fix it. Uh, there are people smarter than me that have speculated on what this thorn in the flesh may have been for Paul. Um, I'm kind of glad that I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of glad that I don't know because, um, first of all, it really doesn't matter, does it? It was a thorn in the flesh that he, that he had. And because I don't know, I can relate a little bit more to it. Because I have thorns in the flesh, and you have thorns in the flesh, and we all have those things that we've probably been dealing with our entire life that we just can't conquer, and that just seem to, to bowl us over sometimes. Why can't I ever be in control of my weight? Why can't I get over my past and the things that I've done that, that, that plague me, that, that give people bad impression of who I am? Why can't I get over these health problems that seem to be coming? Why can't I be in control of my finances? What a thorn in the flesh that can be. Why does it seem like I'm always dealing with temptation and the same one over and over and over? Why does it seem like this, this person who's constantly in my life, they're such a thorn in the flesh, they're such a, a, a temptation to me. Why, do they, why does God let that person continue to be in my life? I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but I can relate to the fact that he had a thorn in the flesh. Because I feel like we all can. We, we have thorns in the flesh. And when I read this, I see that Paul gets it. Paul understands that serving God can be very tough because life in the world is very tough. And what Paul says essentially is we don't serve God because of how good we are. We serve God because of how great he is. And that's how he finishes uh, verse 10 in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. God says, or Paul says, that God is able to show who he really is and what he is really able to do through weakness. The educated, wealthy, powerful Saul, he failed in his ambitions. And yet the humble, beaten, Thorn in the flesh, Paul is able to succeed, not because of how great he is, but because of how great God is. In fact, Paul realizes this and tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And other translations would say the chief of sinners. Mephibosheth said, I will gladly give all this up for the relationship 
because you gave it to me in the first place. Now we see Paul saying, I will gladly take all this, take all this pain, take all this suffering, take all these thorns. I'll do that for the relationship because what I deserved was so much worse. Relationships are hard. They take work. They're not easy. Um, I was talking to someone this morning after worship about a um, a mutual friend that I was close to several years ago, and we've just fallen out of touch. And that that happens in life, doesn't it? We all have friends that we were close to, and there was there was no falling out. There was no reason for us to not stay in touch. But life happens, and and you fall out of touch with people that you love, and. Uh, this person was giving me an, a life update on this mutual friend. I realized, man, I, I really need to call this person. I've, it's probably been years since I've talked to him, and, and it's been too long, and I have not put the work into keeping that relationship up. And we all do that. Um, we all fail in some of those relationships. But what I see when I look at the examples of Mephibosheth and Paul are two men who really put the work into their relationship. They really put the work into the relationship of God. They do it not because they had to, not because they were forced to, but because they understood the value in that relationship and because they desired to have that relationship. Mephibosheth with David and Paul with God. Mephibosheth was genuinely concerned for the king and his friend while David was gone fleeing. And when David returned, Mephibosheth did not care about his possessions. He cared about his friend. Paul cared so much about maintaining his relationship with God that he didn't care that it was going to cost him greatly at times. In fact, in Acts chapter 26, verse 32, we remember that Agrippa tells Festus, uh, Paul probably would have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. But that, would, that was the right thing to do when it came to furthering the gospel. That's what Paul needed to do, was appealing to Caesar. These men fought for their relationships. Hebrews 11 is full of people who worked for their relationships, who put effort into doing what was needed to maintain a relationship because they desired that relationship. Again, not because they're forced, not because they're scared, but because they wanted to have a relationship. We see all these, these people from Noah who builds an ark to, to Abraham who leaves his home and, and, and is willing to sacrifice his son and Sarah who believed and the people who crossed the Red Sea. All of these people who showed they were willing to do whatever was necessary to preserve their relationship with God. And God has done the same. Um, if we continue reading through Hebrews and we continue reading straight through this chapter, remembering that this letter didn't used to have breaks for chapters, then we go right into chapter 12, what Jared read for us. After going through this list of faithful believers, and it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these faithful believers who worked for their relationship, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? I believe that joy was the relationship that he could have with us, his bride, the church. He did that for us, for the relationship. And it wasn't just Jesus, was it? God had to give his son to have a relationship with us. John 3.16, a verse that we all could probably quote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
And then we look at verse 17. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. We see God's intentions. God didn't send Jesus into the world so that He could send a bunch of people to hell. God didn't send Jesus into the world to say, believe in me or else. God sent Jesus into the world to give people, to have an, op- to give people an opportunity to have a relationship with Him. Mephibosheth said, I'll gladly give all of this up for the relationship because you gave it to me in the first place. Paul said, I'll gladly take all this pain, all this suffering, all these thorns for the relationship because I deserve so much worse. Jesus says, I will endure it all. I'll endure it all for the joy of our relationship. God says, I will give all for our relationship because I so love the world and because I so love you. On the other side, the things pulling us from those relationships, the things pulling us from the work that would go into those relationships are things like pride. We have the examples of Mephibosheth and Paul and Jesus and God and what they say that they're willing to do and work for their relationship. And then pride says, I'll give up nothing. I'll give up nothing because I'm the champion. I don't need the relationship. I'm okay on my own. Pride looks at sin and says, I'm too strong to stumble. I can handle the temptations. Pride looks at people who who are broken and who ask for help and who come forward. And pride says, I would never let people see me that weak. Pride doesn't work for the relationship. Pride works against it. Things like greed says, I'm going to take it all. I'll give nothing. I'll take it all because I deserve it all. Greed ignores a relationship. Greed ignores a family. Greed ignores a church so that they can get, so it can get more. It can, have, it can be fed more. Greed says there are things in life that are more important than a relationship. My grandpa telling me one time, some people, some people in this world are so poor that all they have is their money. Selfishness will try to attack our relationship. Selfishness will say, I will make you give all for me because you don't matter. Selfishness says, you will do for me so that I don't have to. Selfishness will tell God and anyone else that will listen for that matter. The bounds of your relationship make me and my friends feel bad, so we're going to ignore those. God, I, I don't like what you have to say about, uh, about homosexuality or adultery or fornication or, or drinking or partying or, or whatever. I don't like, I don't, it makes me feel bad what you say about that, so I'm going to ignore that. We have a world that, that's doing that. That's what selfishness says. I don't like it, so I'm not going to listen to that part of the relationship. Yeah, fear that's, that's attacking a relationship saying, I can't give anything up because I need it all. I can't, get, I can't let go of anything. What if I need that? But faith answers back, I can give everything up because I only need Him. We think about relationships in our, our own lives and how we work at them. And how we've seen our parents work at relationships. How we worked at our own relationships with our spouses and our friends and people we love. We can't ignore those relationships. We can't ignore the work that we put into those. The same pride, the same greed, the same selfishness, the same fear will wreck our interpersonal relationships just as quick as it will wreck our relationship with God. We have the beautiful examples from Mephibosheth, from Paul, that say, I don't care about the stuff. I don't care about the pain. I don't care about anything. I just need you. What a great challenge for all of us. 
God is saying the same thing when it comes to the relationship. I so love you. And fill in the blank. I so love you that I gave my son. I so love you that I created you. I so love you I gave you the word to find out how to have a relationship with me. I so love you I gave you the church to have this strength and this this support system while you're here on earth. I so love you. He'll do anything for the relationship. And so the question for us and the challenge for us is what have we done lately to work on our relationship with him? Are there things we need to give up? Are there things that we need to suffer? Um, I'll be the first to tell you that in any relationship, we can always get better, right? And in a relationship with God, I think that there's always room for improvement. Maybe there's more things to give up. Maybe there's more things to learn. Maybe we just need to talk to Him some more before we fall so far out of touch that we start to lose that relationship. There's probably some that need to give up all of themselves to be buried in that watery grave of baptism, to give your life over to to God, to walk as a new creature in Christ. And there may be others that are hurting in their relationship right now and need prayers. Whatever your need may be, we want to help you as together we stand and sing. Kneel at the cross, Christ will meet you there. He intercedes for you. Lift up your voice, leave with him your care, and be in life Please be seated.
As we prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper, we'll sing 10,000 Angels. And on this hymn, we'll sing the first, second, and fourth verses, and then we'll sing the chorus at the end. On the night before Jesus was killed, um, he and his disciples were were having dinner. And uh, there in the, in the middle of, sort of in the middle of dinner, and this comes from Matthew, the 26th chapter, beginning at verse 26. So there they were at dinner and they were talking about various things. But now as, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So that's, that's what our our Lord's Supper that we uh, that we observe is modeled after. Um, so we we remember him, remember his death, his body, his blood, as as he talked about. So if you're 
using the prepared communion sets, you can prepare the bread and, and we'll give thanks um, like he did. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving Jesus. Thank you for giving, giving us this memorial that helps to remember what he did and, and uh, the sacrifice he gave. And we ask that you'll help those that are, are taking it to do it in a way that's, that's uh, appropriate and, and beneficial to them. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give thanks for the cup. Our God in heaven, we, th we thank you for this, uh, this representation of, of Jesus' blood that helps us to remember what he did on, uh, by giving himself on the cross. We ask that you'll help those who are partaking of it to do it in a, in a way that, that honors him and is... Um, and it's right in your sight. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. As the organizational work and and the building and and such things are are have to be financed by some way, we they're financed by by uh, free gift, freely given gifts. And so let's let's thank God for those things. Our God in heaven, we thank you for for giving us so much. And we thank you for those who are, are providing the money for the work uh, of, the, of your congregation and, and to support the, the works here. Ask that you'll bless that, the money and the, and the oversight of it. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now at the end of another one of your glorious days and want to thank you for all the many blessings that you have given us. Thank you for the beautiful weather outside and for allowing us to enjoy, uh, enjoy each and every day, enjoy the changing of the seasons and the beauty of your world. Uh, we thank you for allowing us to have the opportunity to build a relationship with you and to be blessed through that. We ask that you uh, continue to bless all of us with health and that we pray that you be with those that need you in special ways to help with uh, recovery and support from any illness they may be facing. Uh, we ask that you continue to watch over us throughout the rest of this upcoming week. Uh, be with us and protect us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't have any announcements, so we're dismissed. <laughs>